0: Thank you, Teresa. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We are uh, continuing our study of this very relevant book for the church, uh, a book that uh, reminds us of how God calls us to to function as a congregation. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 5. 1 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The Church of Jesus Christ in many respects is a wonderful thing. Uh, The local church is a is a wonderful thing. It's, It's where we come together on Sunday, often twice. Uh, to worship our God. It's where we come together to hear the gospel proclaimed. It's where we enjoy the, the communion of saints, blessed with opportunities to, to serve and to care for one another. Uh, last Sunday night, we, we looked at this great little passage at the end of chapter 3 where, where Paul reminds us uh, the church's focus and the church's guide the church is to be guided not by the dictates of men, not by the opinions of others, but the church is to be guided by the Word of God. As I said to you last Sunday, this has been the commitment of Zion ever since it started, before many of us were even here. This church was began with a, a commitment to the inerrancy, the infallibility, and the authority of the Word of God. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And the church of Jesus Christ is to focus on Jesus Christ and his perfect work on our behalf. And so the church is a, a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. But, but tonight there's a kind of a shift in perspective. Tonight Paul is going to remind us that the church is far from perfect. Living in a fallen world and made up of sinners, the church has its issues, I don't think anybody here tonight, for one second, thinks that Zion is a perfect church. Unfortunately, there are some who, when they get into the life of a local church, are shocked that there would be disagreements, that there would be division, that that people wouldn't get along, that people would have a hard time forgiving one another. People are shocked to see that. But, But the fact of the matter is that that's reality. That's the way it is in the fallen world. And and we wish that that wasn't the case in the church, but but sometimes it is. And Paul reminds us of that tonight. And I don't know about you, but but I'm thankful for this passage. I'm thankful that the Bible tells us this. That the Bible never paints this idealized picture of the church. So that if you're not in the perfect church, you say, well, I can't be here. Because that's not what the church is to be like. It doesn't paint this idealized picture portrait of the church where the church never has any problems. Paul tells us tonight two things that we're going to have to deal with. First of all, there will be false believers. There will be false believers. And secondly, there will be false teachers. Paul starts chapter 4 with what I think is a very interesting statement. He, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times... I've said this to you so many times that, that you might be tired of hearing it, but, but there are no unimportant words in Scripture. Verse 1 means something. And, and notice a couple of the phrases that, that Paul uses here. First of all, he says, the Spirit expressly says. Children, this is a reminder to us that, that the Bible is not the word of men. This, this is not just Paul's opinion. This isn't Paul, you know, looking at the church in Ephesus and analyzing the church in Ephesus and then writing Timothy a letter and and saying, Timothy, here's how I read the church landscape. Here's how I read your church. This is from the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. And and it's a reminder to us of how we should treat all of God's word, right? Right? How we should always handle God's word. This this book comes to us from God. It's not human literature. It's not the word of men. It doesn't matter what the culture says or the uh, academic people say. This is the word of God. It's not up for debate. It doesn't change from one generation to the next. It is the abiding word of God that stands forever. God says something interesting in Isaiah chapter 66, he says, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. When, when Paul says the spirit expressly says, again, this is a reminder to us that we're dealing with the word of God. And it's a reminder to us that whether we are young or old, we should have a certain reverence for Scripture. Second phrase that Paul uses here in verse 1 is later times. Now now that phrase doesn't mean that that Jesus or that Paul thought Jesus was going to come at any moment. Sometimes you will will read uh, these liberal commentators who will say that. They, they They will say, you know, Paul thought it was the last days. Paul thought that Jesus was going to come during his lifetime. Obviously, he got that wrong, and therefore you can't trust the Bible. Maybe you've come across people like that before. That, that little phrase, later times, or also used last days in the New Testament, is, is used to refer to the entire time between the ascension of Jesus and his second coming. In other words, what Paul is saying in these, these little, this short little passage of five verses is what I'm about to tell you, Timothy, is going to characterize the entire time of church history until Jesus comes. What, what Paul is about to tell us was true in the first century, it was true in the, the fifth century, it was true in the 16th century, it was true in every century, and it's true in the 21st century. And the very first thing... That the Spirit says will characterize this time period is that there will be false believers. There will be those who will depart from the faith. That that word depart means to move away from or to withdraw from. Brothers and sisters, what's being described here is something very serious. This is a person who once professed faith in Christ and they have now rejected the gospel, they've now renounced the gospel. Now, it's important to understand that this doesn't mean that a genuine believer can lose their salvation. The Bible is clear that one who has true faith in Christ cannot fall away to destruction. Remember, we have to to interpret Scripture by Scripture, and, and the very clear passages of the Bible make it abundantly clear and abundantly obvious that a true believer cannot lose their salvation. John 10 verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's the golden chain of salvation in Romans 8 verse 30 that we would all probably do well to memorize. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That golden chain is not going to be broken. God's not going to cut you off. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That will happen. And So we don't want to read this passage in 1 Timothy 4 and, and think that Paul is now contradicting all of these other passages. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. We we don't want to think that that, that Paul is saying that the true believer can fall away and lose their salvation. Instead, Paul is describing a situation that many of us know all too well. And that is that there are those who have professed faith in Christ but who later show that that profession was a false profession when they abandon the faith. John talks about this in 1 John 2 verse 19 He says, they went out from us. In other words, they they left. They left the church, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There were those in that day who, who professed faith in Christ, who said, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, who were part of the church, but there came a time when they abandoned the faith. They walked away from the faith. And John says that's evidence that they weren't true believers in the first place. Now, Paul tells us this because this is reality. This is a very difficult thing to deal with in church life. In, in my years as a pastor, there have been those who went through the profession of faith class or they went through the membership class. They then met with the elders. They professed that Jesus was their Lord and Savior. They, they stated their desire to follow Christ. They stated their desire to be part of the local church. They were received into membership. But later on, they said, I don't believe it anymore. I reject it. It's not for me. And they walk away. And, and many of them, you, you never see them again. And that's a hard one to stomach. It's a hard thing to take to see someone do that. Now that's not to say that the Lord won't later work in their hearts and, and bring them to saving faith. We, we pray for that. But, but it's hard to watch those who were here, but who have abandoned the faith, who said, I don't, I don't believe it anymore. But Paul says you can expect this. This will be part of normal church life. Notice what else he says about them in verse 1. He says that they will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. This is here to remind us that we are in a very real spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. This, This isn't just a battle among human beings. You got, you know, Christians on one side and non Christians on the other side. There is a spiritual component to this. I appreciate what one author writes. He says apostates are not actually the victims of sophisticated university professors, false religious leaders, or wickedly clever writers or speakers. They are the victims of demonic spirits. Purveying lies from the depths of hell through such humans. False teaching is thus something far more than a human aberration. It is nothing less than the doctrines of demons. We are in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual battle, and Paul reminds us of that here. It's so important to realize this that, that false doctrine, false gospels, false religion does not originate with human beings. It has a satanic or a demonic origin. This is the work of an evil spiritual realm. I don't want you to forget that we are in a spiritual battle. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to think that Disney is our enemy, ultimately. Or that Joe Biden is our enemy, ultimately. Or fill in the blank with whoever you think your enemy might be, but... But ultimately, although those people may be purveying lies and immorality, behind all of that is this evil spiritual realm. The the devil would love nothing more than you to forget that. One author even says the devil's most clever trick is to make men believe he doesn't exist. I think that's true. Now the comfort we should take the comfort you should take tonight is, is that as true believers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? God has given us the spirit. We talked about that this morning. And, and the doctrines of demons will not overcome us. They will not overtake us. John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Believe that. Take comfort in that. But again, the, the first thing we can expect in the life of the church is that there will be false believers. There will be hairs among the wheat there will be those sadly who walk away and who say I don't believe that anymore I've had people tell me that I've had people sit in my office pastor I don't believe this I don't want this I'm done all the more reason to pray for them all the more reason to pray for one another as well that that we are ensuring that we are sitting under sound doctrine, that that we will not be swayed by the teaching of demons. But again, this is what is reality. There will be those who walk away. Secondly, there will also be false teachers. Verse 2, notice Paul talks about the insincerity of liars. Uh, The demonic realm uses as its tool human beings who teach false doctrine. They might look good, they, they might sound good, but, but in reality they are hypocrites. That, that's what the word insincerity is referring to. It's a word that comes from the first century, from the, from the, the Greek theater of the first century. A person who, who acted in a play, maybe you have a, a child or a grandchild who was who in plays at school, in that day, a person who acted in a play, they, they would typically wear a mask, and, and they were called a uh, hupokrates. It's the word from which we get our English word hypocrite. In other words, they, they, they looked the part, but they were just acting. That's the false teacher. He or she looks good. He or she sounds good. You can find them in churches today. You can find them on TV today. You can find them in the various religions of our world today. But but in reality, Paul says they're hypocrites. They're liars. They're they're an instrument of Satan designed to impart false teaching to people. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about men who who are false apostles and deceitful workmen. He says they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They, They make themselves look to they make themselves look as if they're they're preachers of the gospel they're preachers of Christ and yet paul adds this he says no wonder for even satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness their end will correspond to their deeds false teachers are not harmless false teachers and false teaching is not harmless Brothers and sisters, false teachers, Paul says, are the servants of Satan. Paul says to Timothy, and he says to us, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when people like this infiltrate the church. And and this is one of the the crucial duties of the elders of the church, to, to ensure to the very best of their ability that what is being preached from the pulpit and what is being taught in Bible studies and Sunday school classes, that it lines up with the word of God. That it is in accord with sound doctrine. We looked at the book of Ezekiel this morning and one of the things that we also find in the book of Ezekiel is the mention of a watchman Maybe you've seen that before. I think it's in Ezekiel 3, uh, maybe Ezekiel 33 as well. But but in that day, they they would take these watchmen and they would station them on the walls of the city. And and these watchmen would look out beyond the walls of the city and they would would be on the lookout for anything that was a potential danger to that city. Maybe it was a, a foreign army that was going to invade. Maybe it was impending weather. There's a sense in which the, the eight men who serve as elders of this congregation are watchmen. They're, they're stationed on the walls. They're looking out for problems. They're, they're looking out for things that may be a threat to the purity of the church. In particular, here, it is false doctrine, false teaching. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is is meeting with the elders of the church in Ephesus, which ironically is the same church that Timothy was pastoring. Paul meets with these elders, and and you remember what he says to them. He says, "Pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. That's what an elder is called to do, to be alert. If, if we think that, that church life will always be smooth sailing, we're fooling ourselves. And in reality, we're setting ourselves up for really deep discouragement. We shouldn't be surprised at the reality of false believers. We shouldn't be surprised at the reality of false teachers. Paul even goes on here and he says that the, the consciences of these false teachers are seared. God has given every one of us a conscience, hasn't he? You have a conscience. You have this this innate, um, God-given understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And children, you know how this is, right? You you know that, that when you do something wrong, your conscience reminds you that what you did was wrong. God's given us that conscience. But but if you keep doing wrong over and over and over, and if you don't deal with your sin, you ignore your sin, what happens? Paul says your conscience is seared. Slowly, gradually, your conscience becomes seared in the sense that you can't feel the pain of your sin anymore. It doesn't bother you anymore. So if you just keep lying over and over and over and don't deal with it, your conscience becomes seared. If you become addicted to internet pornography and you you just keep delving into it over and over and over, your conscience becomes seared. Your conscience is dead. It's it's hardened. You you, you sin without any sense of guilt, any sense of remorse. And and listen, that's a very dangerous place to be. That's why the Christian life, the Bible tells us, is a life of daily repentance. Repentance. Daily dealing with our sin, daily confessing our sin, daily looking to Christ for forgiveness. And, and Paul says here, that, that's the case with these false teachers. Their, their consciences are seared. They, they promote their false teaching, and it doesn't bother them. They preach a false gospel, and it doesn't bother them. They they promote their false teaching without any sense of remorse. They they sleep just fine at night. Now, in the case of these false teachers, you'll notice it seems that the root of their teaching was legalism. Man-made rules and and regulations that they had elevated to the level of God's law. You know, when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew, this is a couple years ago now, we, we saw over and over Jesus dealing with the Pharisees. And we saw those religious leaders always elevating man-made laws to the level of Scripture, to the level of God's law. And that's what's happening here. These these false teachers have infiltrated the church in Ephesus, and they are preaching legalism. Particularly in in two areas. First of all, notice they forbid marriage. Can't be married. Now, Now obviously there's nothing wrong with being single. There's nothing wrong with not being married. There are people to whom God has given the gift of singleness, and because of that, the Bible says that there's a sense in which they have more freedom to serve God and to serve God's kingdom. But these false teachers had come into the church, and they said, No true believer in Christ should be married, marriage is sinful. Now now you go, where would they come up with this? Who who thinks of this stuff? We we know what the Bible says about marriage. We know that God instituted marriage. How can false teachers come along and, and, and get around this idea that marriage can be a good thing? It is a good thing. How can they say that you can't be married? Well, in all likelihood, what we have here is what was known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism is something that greatly plagued the first century church. John dealt with it in 1 John. Paul dealt with it in Colossians. Uh, Paul seems to be dealing with it here. Gnosticism taught very simply that all matter is evil. The stuff you can touch with your hands is evil. That which is spiritual is good. That which is material is evil and sinful. By the way, one of the core teachings of Gnosticism is that Jesus Christ was not truly human, that he only appeared to have a human body. It's known as docetism, that, that Jesus appeared, only appeared to be human. And the reason they said that is because if he, if he really did have a human body, because that which is physical is sinful, Jesus would have been a sinner, And so the Gnostics were teaching in that day that that Jesus only appeared to be human. Well, John talks about that at the beginning of 1 John. He he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, this we proclaim to you. In other words, John makes a very clear case, Jesus had a real human body. He, He says, we saw him with our eyes, we touched him with our hands. You say, well, this is some you know, first century weird doctrine that doesn't really apply to me. Well, I will tell you this, that if, Jesus, if, if, if Gnosticism is true, if Docetism is true, that Jesus only appeared to have a human body, you and I are all dead in our sins. Jesus had to be true human in order to redeem us from our sins. But because the Gnostics believed that that physical matter was inherently sinful, they said you can't be married. You, You can't be a Christian and partake of physical intimacy with your spouse because that's sinful. It doesn't take advanced degrees to know the Bible never says that. The Bible doesn't teach that. And and that's why we always have to be on guard when someone walks into a church, when someone walks into this church, and may raise to the level of God's law man-made laws about what you can and cannot do. That's a direct attack, and I'll talk about this in a moment, on the gospel. And we must always be on guard against that. Be very, very careful with those who will promote man-made laws. And secondly, you'll notice these false teachers also required abstinence from certain foods. Now, I don't think that they were saying you can't eat any food. Uh, This is probably the idea that, that you can't be a Christian and eat meat Remember in that day, that was kind of one of the things they were often debating. Can, can we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Well, the Gnostics seem to be saying, no, you can't. You can't have any of that stuff. Now, now if you want to be a vegetarian, I don't know if we have vegetarians here. If you want to be a vegetarian, that's up to you. Um, you're going to miss out on a lot, right? You're going to miss out on filet mignon and barbecue ribs and salmon and all this other stuff. But, but that's your choice. There's nothing sinful about being a vegetarian. There's also nothing sinful about eating meat. But the problem is these false teachers came along and and they made their man-made law and they made it a requirement for all Christians. You can't be a Christian, they were saying. You can't can't be a faithful follower of Jesus and eat meat. But again, this is nothing more than a man-made rule. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus declares all food clean. God says the same thing to Peter in Acts chapter 11. Colossians 2, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Christian, you're free. You're free to eat bacon. You're free to eat pulled pork. You're free to eat in and out burgers. You're free to eat steak and and lobster. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to those things. And, And notice what Paul writes here in verse 4. He says, everything created by God is good, And and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. In other words, it's made holy by the word of God. God says it's okay to eat it. And it's made holy by prayer because we give thanks to God for it. That's, children, that by the way, that's why we give thanks for our food. It's not just some, you know, this is what we've always done, and so we need to pray before dinner and lunch and breakfast. We do it because God says to do it, and we do it because we should be thankful for the good gifts God has given to us. Be careful with man-made laws. What, What matters is not whether we eat meat or not. What matters is not whether we're vegetarians or pescatarians or carnivores. What matters is that we have freedom in Christ to enjoy the good things of God's creation, that we don't judge others for what they eat or what they don't eat. And and ultimately, whatever it is that we eat, we we do so with thankfulness in our hearts. Now, you know, I guess there's a sense in which we could say, you know, we kind of wish this passage wasn't here. I mean, it's a it's a painful reminder to us that that the church is it's far from perfect. It's a painful reminder to us that there are difficult things that go on in the life of a church. But, but I'm thankful it's here because it's a reminder of how things really are. We, we like it when people tell us the truth, right? And this is the truth. We're, we're going to have to deal with false believers. We're going to see people come in here who profess their faith and who later walk away. That doesn't mean we don't go after them, it doesn't mean we don't pray for them. But it's going to happen. We're, we're going to have to deal with false teachers. There's going to be people who come in here and they they promote some weird stuff that doesn't line up with Scripture. Don't be shocked. Don't don't leave the church, either this church or the church in general, and say, the church is no longer for me. I'm just going to sit home and follow Jesus. Don't let it shake your faith. God tells us this will happen. But God equips us with his word so that we will be prepared when it happens. Let let me end with this. One of the the great dangers of of false teaching and one of the great dangers especially of legalism is that it is a direct attack on the gospel. Legalism always, not some of the time, not most of the time, not 98% of the time, legalism always detracts from the work of Jesus Christ. Legalism puts the focus on me. It it, it tells me what I can't do, what I should do, especially as it relates to man-made laws. Brothers and sisters, you've heard enough from me over the years to know that this kind of thinking will bring you only into further bondage. It will bring you into slavery. It will turn your eyes off of Jesus. Jesus. My, my right standing with God, your right standing with God is not based on anything that we do or don't do. And, and yet that's what legalism always tries to do. It always tries to put you back under the yoke of the law. Always. And as the Bible reminds us on more than one occasion, any gospel that takes away from the work of Jesus Christ Is a demonic, false gospel. Our right standing with God is found through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who kept all of God's law perfectly, and who died in our place and rose victorious from the grave. His work alone, received by faith alone. Galatians five, verse one: For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Don't listen to those man-made laws. Don't listen to those legalists. Don't listen to those false teachers. Keep looking to Christ and rejoice in the freedom that you have in him. So Paul gives this to us to remind us what we have to deal with so that we would be better equipped so that we would promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and not man-made rules and so that we might rest not in what we do but in what Jesus has done for us. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the truth. Your word is truth. And we thank you, Lord, that you tell us here what we can expect in the life of the church. We may not like to hear it. It may be difficult to deal with, but, Lord, it is the truth. We pray especially for the elders tonight that they will be on guard for false teaching and false gospels. And we pray as well that we would rejoice in the freedom that the Lord Jesus has won for us and give thanks to you for the local church that you have provided for us As a blessing to us, we pray this in Jesus' name.